The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 337 from Monday, June 20th, 2011. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geekab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips, we try to answer your questions, we share your tips. We talk about all things Apple and Mac here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. And here in Durham, New Hampshire, is Pilot Pete. Uh, there, and there he there, is. There I be. Yeah. So, you know, John, um, lately I've been, uh, and I talked about this a little bit and promised we would talk about it more, so we are now. I, I've been using my iPhone more and more for GPS, for turn-by-turn directions, Uh both really? Our, yeah. I, you don't have a dedicated, uh, I'll tell you, I have uh, a rather dated, but but uh, it, it's a Garmin Nuvi. I believe it's a 360. Yeah. And it does just great. The only aggravation is that now it keeps pestering me every now and then for map updates because the maps are a couple of years old. But right. Yeah, right. My needs, they're uh, they're accurate. But uh, but yes, of course, uh, we know that the uh, the iPhone has a GPS and uh, and of course, some uh, apps that can take advantage of that. That's right. Yeah. And, and so we do have dedicated, we had a Garmin, an old, uh, an old street pilot um, that we still have. Uh, and then of course, both of the vehicles that we own have, uh, have their own in dash GPS systems. But the one in our Toyota Sienna uh, has, we've had the vehicle four years and it's been trying to kill me for four years now. Uh, and I've pretty much given up on, on having the thing uh, try to guide me anywhere because it's totally out to get me. In fact, it sucks. It really, it, um, you know, well, what do you mean? Does it tell you to take U-turns yeah. or drive into lakes or because uh, I've heard of people, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, not L- using discretion. <laughs> no, well, no I, I've read about this. Yeah, yeah. People people taking U-turns or drive it, just listening to the device and trusting the machine, which I don't think you should ever trust the machine. Use right. a little judgment. Well, this thing, it warns me too far in advance. Uh, it's like two miles in advance of a turn. It tells me, you know, mm. turn right in two miles. And then when you get to the turn. It says, uh, you know, uh, and up on the right is Smith Street. Well, I freaking know Smith Street's up on the right. Do you want me to turn or not? You know, it, it's it's unclear and uh, and and it's just it's bad news. So uh, what I which, which one does this? Is it the in-car one? It's the in-car one in, in our Toyota Sienna, which is our, our minivan. So, OK, because uh, I got to say the Garmin, uh, at least mine, is very good about that. It yeah, that thing tried to make a, me. That thing tried to make me do U-turns all the time, too. I, I kind of hated our Garmin uh, for that. <laughs> but anyways, go. Yeah. iPhone options. So I, 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 um, I've been using and experimenting with a lot of different apps on the iPhone. And I, I wasn't sure how to do this because I'd used a bunch of them. Really, forget all of them except the two that I'm going to tell you about here. Uh, the best one that I found on the iPhone is Navigon's Mobile Navigator. Now you can get it at a couple of different price points. You it, for forty five bucks, you get maps of USA and Canada, uh, and that's mm-hmm. the whole deal, right? I mean, that's that's what you need to get going. It loads the maps on them. You could turn your radios off on the device. Well, you'd still need the GPS radio on, but you don't need cell uh, access necessarily. And uh, and you've got it all. And, and the other one I'm going to talk about has that too. So you know the maps are loaded on the device. So forty five bucks for USA and Canada, thirty five bucks for just the USA, but all of the USA. Or 25 bucks for just your region. And I think that's the East Coast, Central or West Coast. So uh, you can, you know, do it whatever way you want. 
there are a couple of add-on options to it. You can get traffic data for five bucks. You can get speed cameras for five bucks and Zagat for like eight or something. And they've got a couple others like panoramic 3D view, which is kind of cool, but it's not necessary. So my feeling is if you're using GPS on a regular basis on your phone, this is the one to get uh, a couple of cool things that it does that none of the others that I've used uh, do well. And, and number one is speed limits. It actually knows the speed limits on all the roads that you're on. And it's amazingly accurate. You drive by a, a speed limit sign when it changes and you can watch the thing change and you can have it warn you when huh. you're, you know, and you can pick, you know, in, in town, I want you to tell me if I'm more than five miles over on the highway. I want you to tell me if I'm more than 10 miles over. Cause of course it knows your speed too, cause it's tracking you on GPS. So, uh, and, th- and then does it send a report? So you get a ticket if you, <laughs> uh, no, oh, that's good. <laughs> no, 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 uh, yeah, it keeps, keeps that to itself. And it'll also, you know, it, it, it's, and it's really smooth. The, the voices, it does text to speech, um, and it's really clear. Uh, I, I like it because the text to speech, I can pick a, a man's voice or a woman's voice. And I, I much prefer my GPS to have a woman's voice. It just works better for me. And, uh, and so that's, that's the one, if you're doing it every day, I, I like the, the, the Navigon, but it is relatively speaking expensive. Of course, it's not anywhere near as expensive as a standalone GPS unit. That's worth its salt. But, uh, but you know, as far as apps go, it's expensive. The other side of this, and this is why I said there's going to be two we're going to talk about, is Copilot Live USA. Copilot Live USA, five bucks. Uh, they have a North America version, which gives you USA and Canada for 20. The latter includes your text to speech as a standard option. Uh, the former one, the $5 one, you got to pay three bucks to add text to speech. But here's the rub the text to speech in that one is only a male voice. So it speaks street names and all that stuff, but it's not uh, the female voice. And, and I'm not alone. Apparently uh, most people find that they uh, will pay more attention to GPS directions from a female voice than from a male voice, which tends to get lost in the, uh, in the car. So oh, I think especially if you're male, because no, that's um, not true. No, they say that oh, the studies okay. <laughs> are that it's, it's women as well. So, uh, but, you know, for five bucks and I think everybody should do this. Right. So if, if you're if you're happy with whatever you're using or you find you don't need it, then then maybe Navigon's too much for you. Uh, Copilot for five bucks. Buy it. Install it on your phone. When you travel, you know, you rent a car somewhere. You're good to go. You know, you've got your directions right there. The maps are built in. They update them all the time. You, you know, both of these companies they are updating them regularly every couple of months or so. So you always, you don't run into the problem that you have with oh. a standalone unit where the maps get stale. You can, and, and each of these does this a little differently, but you can tell it, I don't want to go on this road. You can report map errors and it all works. The traffic data is kind of cool. Although I'm really not necessarily sold on having the GPS route me around traffic more often than not. I find it, it just, uh, and this isn't the fault of the GPS. It's just how they all work. You know, when there's, if there's traffic one way, there's often traffic, everywhere else that it's going to route you. And it may or may not know about that. Now, are these both purely software? Do they give you any, you know, a bracket? Yeah. So you, you can get a mounting bracket. I have the one that's from Navigon. Um, and I think it was like 30 bucks or something like that. But, um, but you know, yeah, yeah. I would highly recommend a bracket of some sort. I have one that just sticks to the windshield and, uh, and then holds my iPhone in it. Um, which is great. Not only for this, but you know, if you want to Skype with somebody or something while you're uh, driving, of course you can do that too. Right. Isn't that great? Isn't that smart? But, no. uh, but here's the thing. So 
Uh, this morning, as I was kind of putting together the details of this, I saw that um, just late last week, Copilot, uh, ALK, the company that, that owns Copilot, announced uh, or sort of leaked uh, some pictures of the next version of Copilot Live. And while they haven't released a, a feature list, by looking at the pictures, you can see that they've added a couple of things. Number one, they've added the speed limits, which they don't currently have uh, in the U.S. They have them in other countries, but they, that, that looks like that's coming. Uh, they've also added text-to-speech with female voices. And they've also added something that Navigon makes gr- that does really well currently. When you are uh, coming on a highway and you want to take an exit, the Navigon screen totally changes and they paint up on the on the screen the highway signs and and tell you which lane to get in and go. And I mean, the signs will be customized to where you are and often look exactly like the signs that you see above you as you're driving on the road. Uh, it looks like Copilot's taking a, 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 a page out of that book, too, because some of those screenshots appear to uh, to do similar things. So so, you know, that five bucks for Copilot Live may actually wind up giving you more and more than uh than it does right now. But, but those are the two Navigon, definitely the best one that's out there right now. And Copilot live for five bucks. If you don't think you need it, get it. Cause you don't want to have to install it uh, on the fly. Cause it's like a gig or whatever. It's more than a gig worth of data. Cause you're pulling down all that map data to your phone, but definitely worth it. So there's, there's my roundup on, uh, on GPS apps, forget all the others. They, they might be, you know, maybe, you know, a little bit, you know, not quite as good, but it's just not worth it. I've tried a bunch of them. These are the two. So any thoughts, John? Uh, my thoughts are I'm perfectly happy with my, uh, with your garment. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> with my garment, except for the pestering that the maps are out of date, which it does. You know, I mean, once every couple of months and I know this, right. You know, stop bugging me. And, and I think, you know, if they just price it a little less, so I think I paid a couple hundred bucks for it. It's uh yeah, you know, the screen is about the same size as the iPhone. Uh, but the problem is the the updates, I think they're like every now and then, I, like one time I got a special offer. I think it was from Amazon because I bought it through them and they're like, hey, we got a special 50 bucks for the map update. And I'm like, yep. Uh, you know, See, I, I mean, think I, I go paid. Away. Well, the thing is, I paid, you know, maybe 200 bucks for it. So is $50 just to update the math worth it or do i just buy another one that has way more features like or, widescreen and, and stuff and or buy, to me, the it doesn't app, make, buy the app for your iphone and forget about it you're done i would not be comfortable using my iphone as a gps wait why I, i'm just afraid that it's gonna take a spill and get get destroyed man wow if you mount it on a little bracket and plug it yeah. in there's no problem yeah yeah you're you're uh you're mis you're misguided on that one I, uh, it's, it's, well, the best, I, I, it's no, the you're best right. I, I, GPS experience I've ever had is on the iPhone. And, and the, I have to say co-pilots user interface is quirky. G- GPS app user interfaces are quirky. Anyway, co-pilots is quirkier than Navigons. I found Navigons easier to, to navigate. So no surprise, but of course, Navigon was just purchased by Garmin. So let's hope Garmin mm. doesn't screw it up. Gets rid of it. Gets rid of all the good features. <laughs> yeah, let's hope not because their user interfaces are wacky too. Always so. the way. Well, you know, upon careful consideration, I think you're right, Dave. I'm misguided. I think so. I always, I always listen to you. I wow. know. <laughs> except when I don't. Except, except of course, when you don't. That's right. That was, I was going to say that was too easy. Uh, <laughs> all right. Our first sponsor for this show is Circus Ponies with Notebook. Notebook for both the Mac and the iPad. The idea here is you start with a white-lined piece of paper virtually on your Mac or your iPad. You can plug in 
uh, you can pull in other data from PDFs or uh, pictures or whatever and, and put them right in there. But you can also just type right into this notebook, builds a little tabbed hierarchical view, create different pages. And really, it's built to assemble data for projects or events or something that you've got going on, maybe a class that you're taking or a new initiative at work, something where you want to kind of assemble all this data together, build an outline of, uh, of notes, multiple pages. You can pull in audio files too. In fact, some people listen to Mac geek gab. They pull in the MP3 of the show and, uh, and then paste in the links from the show notes and then go through and make notes about each, uh, each thing that we discuss, maybe what they want to do or, uh, you know, something we mentioned. And then they've got one notebook per each episode and, and can actually go back and refer to it. It's very, very cool stuff. And and of course, you can do this on the iPad, too, and sync back and forth between them. Um, very, very cool stuff. Uh, notebook for the Mac is available at CircusPonies.com. It's forty nine bucks or forty nine ninety five. So five nickels short of 50 bucks. Uh Unless you're a student or sometimes somehow otherwise affiliated with the school, and then it's a, a nickel short of thirty bucks, twenty nine ninety five, and uh, but of course you can get a free trial, and that's how I recommend you start. Go to circusponies.com, download the free trial, and uh, and try it out there. And then of course the iPad version is a penny short of thirty bucks because that's how Apple does their pricing at the App Store. So it's twenty nine ninety nine. There is no free trial of that because of the way that works. But uh, try it out on your Mac first. Play around with it there get hooked and then, uh, and then go for it and buy, uh, buy the one on, on the Mac and then on the iPad. And uh, Pete, I know you use notebook. And I, I do. I do. Cool feature of the week for notebook is links. You can create links from any one page in a notebook to another page in the notebook. For instance, I like have table of contents style. It, well, sort of. Yeah. I have, for instance, on my to do page, I'll have phone calls that I need to make. And then once I'm done with them, I'll check it off. But next to that name, I now have a link that takes me back to a page later in the notebook where I have notes from that phone conversation that we had. Now, can you tag so, those notes and, and move things around absolutely. and all that stuff? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. But having cool. links, being able to go, oh, what page it was back there somewhere. Where exactly was it? Oh, I know I called this guy. Here it is on my to-do list. There's a link next to his name. Boom. And there are the notes from our phone wow. conversation. Yeah. Wow, that, that adds like a whole other use case to Absolutely. it. You can link all kinds of things throughout the notebook back and forth to each other so you aren't lost looking for because my notebook huh. now is is really big and it could get really convoluted because i've got different uh, pro projects going on and of course i have tabs for each of those projects but some of the some of the, my pages are like i have safety reports that are 150 200 pages deep right now wow. and to find each of those is is more difficult than to just have a link going all right i know it's in one of the safety reports i don't have to even go to the page table of contents and start reading down 150 items looking for it. Huh. I could either go a keyword search would be a quick way to do it. But if I know I've got a link based on a conversation I had with somebody about a safety report, it takes me right to it. Cool. All right. Notebook at uh, circusponies.com. Now let's dive into some follow-ups from uh, some previous shows, which actually are standalone questions in their own right. So we'll let Connor take it away. John and Dave, this is Connor P. On Mackie Cap 334, which I believe is the most recent one, you were having a discussion about in application installers that required you to either restart or log out. And it had to do with whether it changed user level settings or system level settings or how far it stuck its fingers into the operating system. 
But at least for me, when I have to log out, that's pretty much the worst part of having to restart. So by the time I've had to log out and log back in, I might as well just restart my computer just to get everything nice and fresh again. Because for me, the restart process is not the painful part. The painful part is reopening all of my applications and all my documents and moving all my windows around and all that stuff. So I guess my question is, why even bother just having the logout option? Because at least for me, I, I don't really see the pain of restarting the rest of the way once you've already logged out. Got it. Yeah. So it, you make a good point. It, it, if you're the only user logged in, then there's really not much of a uh, a cost there. And, and but but in a situation where you've got a computer in the house where you might have accounts for it, and, and I live this way, where you've got accounts for each of your kids and, and all of that stuff. Uh, that's a huge thing. You know, it, it's not just as simple as clicking restart. I've got to go and log into each of those accounts. If I've got, you know, uh, uh, what is it called? Multiple login set up. And, uh, and I've got to go into each of those accounts for the kids or for my wife and quit out of everything that they have and save it and then log them out so that their data isn't just, you know, summarily booted when, uh, when I click the button. So, so that can actually be, that can actually be a very painful process, far worse than having to just log out of mine. Because in, if I'm doing it, if I'm doing an installer from my account, I can hit restart and it will close all my apps and offer to have me save things and all of that stuff. Whereas it won't for the rest of them. So, so that's, that's really the, the user experience difference between, uh, between the two for, from my standpoint. So John, you got uh, any, any thoughts on this? Well, I think we touched on it before, but the thing is a lot of this is, well, if you use package maker, which is Apple's creator of install packages, which we'll be talking about again in a moment, but the developer dictates what should happen. And we touched on it before, touch on it again here, is that it, it's actually something that they can make a conscious decision to require the user to do, whether right. it be. Uh, and it's actually in, if, if, in the package, it's under a configuration tab. Uh, if you don't have this, get the developer tools. You know, if you have a developer account, you can get them for free. Otherwise, I think you can buy them for five bucks. Uh, through the app store, but under the configuration tab for a portion of the installer package, there is a restart action. Now the developer can decide what to do there. They can say nothing, require logout, require restart, or if you're hardcore, require shutdown. And hopefully that's based on the requirements of whatever the heck they're installing. Right. And, and it makes sense. I mean, the, the, the best thing, you know, I, I gotta say, I get nervous sometimes where it, it says just do a logout and not a restart. Uh, if, it, if you're installing just into your user account, then then that's I mean, that's fine. If it's just a user level app and when you log out, it's going to quit and then relaunch. Sure. You're fine. Yeah. Default folder is like that. You know, if I. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it just makes me nervous sometimes. You know, are they getting it right? Are there going to be any right. potential gotchas if you just do a logout? Because a restart, based on what I know, reloads more than just a logout. Oh, absolutely. Like you were absolutely. saying, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. rather than user level stuff, it's system level stuff. So yeah, it's a pain in the neck and yes, it can be slow. And I think I, I saw Pete was saying, you know, get an SSD, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so you mentioned package files. Gabe, take it away. 
Hey, John, Dave, and Pilot Pete. This is Pete from Wisconsin. Uh, been a while. I have been listening to many podcasts lately. Work has been absolutely crazy, but uh, finally catching up on them. Currently listening to MacGeekGab Triple Three. Uh, yeah, I know that's that one's fairly old, but still, it's been crazy here for a few weeks. Uh, listening about. Um, well, let me look at the chapter here about uh, what constitutes a safe file. Uh, Jeff, I think is the name here. Um, you and or Dave and John were, were speculating uh, on what Mac Defender, Mac Protector, Mac Security, whatever it's called at the present time, is downloaded as. And yes, it is downloaded as a zip file. When it's unzipped, it produces a .mpg file. I've had a couple of dealings with it on other people's computers. Uh, one of them was actually pretty insistent on it. I had, there were eight instances of both the zip file and the uh, mpackage file. Uh, if you could just shed some light on what an mpackage file is versus just a straight package file, um, I'm really not sure what the difference between it is uh, other than an extra letter. Um, great podcast. Love the advice. Uh, really saved my bacon in the past. Um, Hope you guys have a great week and uh Thanks, Gabe. Uh okay, so I, I think you missed a letter when you were saying it, Gabe, it's dot mpkg files versus dot pkg. And like you said, it's just got an mm-hmm. extra letter. Uh MPKG is a meta package. The PKG uses the systems installer. A meta package is totally self-contained, meaning it's bypassing the systems installer. That that's Mm. that's that's my that's my understanding of you how think those so? things work uh, do, do you know differently john yes i do oh well then go would you like me to tell <laughs> yeah go <laughs> well you're right mpkg is a meta install package okay now you may be asking what is a meta install what could that possibly be and well the, the meta kind of clues you in if you open up an MPKG file, you know what you're going to see inside of that, Dave? What's that? Multiple PKG files. Ah, okay. So it doesn't bypass the installer, but it just has no. multiple installation packages inside it. Right. And I'll give Got you an example. It. I'll give you a very quick example. Now, how did I determine this? Well, it, it's fairly easy. If you click on an MPKG or a PKG file and you say show package contents, you can dig inside. Now, a PKG file, what it's typically going to contain is a, I think, a gzipped archive, among other things. But that, that's mainly what's in there, uh, along with, the, with a lot of other stuff. But, but right. that's the key feature. But if you, say, show package contents on an MPKG file, it will, at some level, show you multiple PKG files. Now, why would you want to do this? Well, I, I found one example, which I think is a good example of why you may want to do this. And let me see. Let me see. If I Actually, I, I've got an example. Apple's installers do this, right? Oh, well, absolutely. Yes, right. yes, yes. Oh, well, well, the OS installer, no question. Right. Because you've got all these tiny little packages and they bundle them together into a meta package file. And then that way you can pick and choose which ones you want to go fire off. And from a maintenance standpoint, for for Apple's standpoint, you know, or, or any developer's standpoint, it's much simpler to maintain each one of those packages individually. If you need to change something in one, you don't have to go and reconfigure all the whole shooting match or worry that you're impacting something else because they're all sort of standalone package installers. So, Correct. Yeah. And, and one that I stumbled across. So that's a great example. And something that helps you peek into these files is something we'll mention before. And I'll mention it again is pacifist. Right. 
let's see. Uh, but I looked at one, Dave, and, and to me, it opened my eyes. Uh, in addition to your, your fine example, it opened my eyes to why you'd want to do this. So I looked inside the flip for Mac WMV MPKG file. Okay. For, for people that don't know about this, flip for Mac is something. Was, was, doesn't exist. Oh, flip for Mac. I'm thinking of the flip oh, camera. No, no. Sorry, I'm heading down the wrong path. Flip for Mac is a good yes, thing. You. Go. Tell it's okay. About it. No, yeah. flip for Mac. So uh, Microsoft decided to abandon development of the Windows Media Player for the Mac platform. But what they did is suggest that people use this thing called flip for Mac WMV which basically lets you do the same thing. And I looked in that file, and what did I find when I looked in the MPKG? Not one, not two, but three PKG files. So within it, in the resources, so contents resources, there's flip for Mac QuickTime components. Okay, that's good. Flip for Mac web plugins. Okay, that's nice too. And Silverlight, which is Microsoft's... Uh, so they have those three PKG files are embedded in the flip for Mac WMV MPKG file. Got it. So... It's not just a letter, and it makes sense, as you said, Dave, either for a system installer, which is a compilation of you know, hundreds of, of these PKG files, I believe, or something like Flip for Mac. So it, it shouldn't matter to the user. I mean, it should be transparent to you. You may or may not see the launching of multiple installers. You, you may not, depending on how they architect it. So Cool. Uh, all right. In, uh, again, back in 333, and I'm glad Pete's here, Michael writes, Listening to 333, and I heard how Pilot Pete saved 30 gigs by deleting old backups uh, of his mobile devices. He explained how to find them in the Finder. While he's right that there is, uh, that's where they're stored, there is an easier way to delete these old backups. Inside iTunes, go to Preferences and go to Devices. And in there, you'll see the latest backup of your iOS devices and possibly older backups. You'll know which is the newest to oldest because the backups are dated. Just do a simple highlight and click the delete button. And Michael, you're right. Thank you for this. Because, uh, you know, I went and did this on a couple of my machines and I found backups of older, you know, I retired an iPhone or retired an iPod and I got a new iPad and uh, and all of that stuff, you know, the old versions of it were sitting out there taking up space. So this is a, a handy way to find it. Yeah. What's the fun of that, though? We're using a GUI when you can dig down in the finder. I mean, well, I should have given him if, a terminal command. To if, get rid of. <laughs> if you want to dig down in the finder, Craig actually has a question and we'll give him an answer. Hi, John, Dave and Pilot Pete. I was just listening to episode 333. And Pilot Pete gave his tip about claiming some disk space back and deleting your old iPad pod and backups etc and he gave the path which was library application support mobile sync backup but in there how do you know which folder is associated with which device i mean I, i'm looking at mine now and it's like many many characters of all jumbled up letters i mean i know i could go into itunes and delete the backups that way but i was just wondering how you'd know which number corresponds to which device uh-huh. okay thanks for your help this way you can cut me off all right craig so uh, John, this is an interesting one because it does look like a lot of gobbledygook out there, but what it is, is it is the UDID, which is a unique identifier for your device. And that creates iTunes creates a folder in that mobile backups folder, uh, with your UDID. That way, if you change the name of the device or whatever, it doesn't matter. The UDID will never change. It's also why even if you clone your old device to a new one, you still wind up with an old backup that sits out there because the UDID has changed. Um, You can find the UDID if your device is connected in iTunes uh, and you click 
on the device. And then on the first info tab, you will see, um, uh, gosh, somebody help me with this here. I, I don't have a device connected to iTunes in front of me, but there is a way. In fact, there's a, probably a knowledge base, knowledge base article, uh, out there. But, uh, but yeah, you click somewhere, right. I think on the, uh, on the version number of the software, and uh, and that will tell you the UDID. Here, Sorry, the one day I didn't bring a cord. I could do that. Yeah, that's right. To find your phone's UDID, plug it into your computer, wait till iTunes, come to the summary tab, click the word serial number beside the picture of the phone, and it will change from the serial number to the identifier. And it's a big, long string. Really, all you need to do is pay attention to the first maybe five or six characters. And and that's going to be unique enough on your system to to find you know one or two of these older things that now are that, out there. that's far too organized. Here here's how I did it: nuke and pave. No, in all <laughs> seriousness, I, actually, I just used the date of the backups, and I had a backup that was two and a half years old. And I went, yeah, I don't need yes. that anymore. And I was going to mention that, but you touched on it. Pete, yeah. is the date of that file with the incomprehensible UDA, whatever the heck it is will match what you see in the iTunes backup uh, list. That's the only way I figured it out as well. Yeah. Now, if the dates are all the same, well, then, then you got a little problem. And yeah, then you'll have to, to, to scrounge to find this, uh, this value. But, and then your other option is you really could nuke and pave as long as your devices are what, all in good what, shape. You could nuke What's them. the point of and a backup if you're going to nuke it? Well, then you turn around and back up again, and now you know you've got one good backup of the device that you have in hand, and that's the one you want to That's the one you keep. need. And I, that's had, right. I did that with my uh, iPad. I deleted yeah. all the iPad ones and put, put a fresh one on. There you go. Uh, a, uh, a quick follow-up. We uh, we talked last time. My son had that cracked iPod touch that uh, clearly was accidental damage. He dropped. He actually dropped the charger, the Apple charger, right onto the uh, onto the iPod touch and hit it right right where the glass stops around the the home button. I think I think that's a design flaw. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, but here's the cool thing, and and I asked on charger. I asked and the, on, and yeah. the charger's the charger. too too heavy. Yeah. <laughs> so we um uh we went to uh, the Apple store, and sure enough, you know, we told them here's what happened, and, and you know, we were totally honest with them. And the guy said, "Let me check something." He looked in the system, and he came back, and he said, "Yep, we're going to go ahead and swap that out for you." Uh, and I said, "Really?" I said, "Thanks." He said, yeah, it's fine. He said, normally we don't cover accidental damage, but we have the uh, option of looking the other way once per device or per purchase. I mean, obviously now, even though he and they just swapped it out. So he has a new device. But if he were to break this one, you know, it's it's all considered the same purchase, which it is. Otherwise, it would have been one hundred and forty nine bucks for an iPod Touch 4G. Uh, They call it a flat rate repair and anything you do to it, they'll swap it out. Um, now, presumably their look the other way once thing only happens if it's still under warranty of any kind, which, of course, his is because he only got it back in December. So uh, so that was good news. It was so I, I wanted to share that that it seems as though this is a a unpublished policy. It's, it's a written policy, but not published uh, and seems to apply to anything. iPhones and and uh, and the above. So. Yeah. You no, know, in the event in the event you're not covered, though, I mean, I, I have Apple Care on obviously on my laptop yeah. and. And such, but I, I found on the mobile devices like my iPhone and my uh, iPad, I, I go to somebody else who does cover, yeah, uh, damage. And I don't know if you want me to mention them or not. You can but, mention Square oh, yeah, Trade, okay, yeah, it's Square it's Trade, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I use, use Square, Square Trade, trade warranties. I have Square Trade on mine too. That's uh, 
Yeah. yeah. So they cover it's a fifty dollar deductible if you have a accidental damage, which you know it's fair. Otherwise, you just yeah. smack your device and go, "Hey, I want a new one." But, yeah. Uh, that's right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna mention something else just nope. out of the blue. Well, there's another option here. So you mentioned, Dave, the the price. Uh, so Apple's a uh, sticker price for doing that for replacing the glass is how much? One forty nine. Okay. One place. But- yeah, it replaces every it, it's a it's the flat rate repair. So, I mean, it, okay. it would have been. OK. Yeah. yeah. All right. All I'll say is that another option. Uh, I don't have a lot of feedback from people. I, I, I have some data points, but I rescue and I'm just looking right now. Yeah, I rescue. So they and, have and iPod touch Gen 4 and I'm just looking right now. So iPod touch Gen 4 broken glass LCD and digitizer repair replacement. Hundred and five bucks. Okay, so, with so shipping, if you're out of warranty or if they tell yep. you, sorry, yep. I, I think iRescue is, is worth exploring. Yeah, I, that's I, I-R-E-S-Q. I sorry. prefer Tech Restore over iRescue, but only, oh, it's okay. only because okay. I've used them and I know them. Uh, but I don't, I don't have any reason not to, you know, it's a, it's a preference, not, not, I'm not staying away from iRescue. I, you know, no, no, I've used, uh, I used iRescue, uh, yeah. it, it was a long time ago, but my uh, tie book remember that far back but yeah. i had problems with that and yeah. uh and i think they also i don't know if they still uh you know if the machine's totally dead i think they'll they'll give you uh you know some money for uh for you know rooting the components out of it right that's true i don't know, I don't know they, if they do that anymore no, but, uh, I think but they, they did they did when when i had it you know i had it repaired and then you know a little while you know a couple of years later it it totally failed and like well you know we'll, we'll give you something because you know that that's how they operate i think they they scavenge parts from machines and uh, assuming they're in good shape they'll repurpose them so that's right yeah so yeah i you know i looked at that um and, and i saw that i rescue was yeah 105 bucks now with shipping you know you're getting pretty close to the 150 and the sure. same with tech, tech restore was actually a little more expensive they were i think 130 or something and then again shipping you're getting right up next to it but uh but i figured if we had to pay to replace it i was going to pay apple to do it a because they would do it right there on the spot Mm-hmm. Um, and then B, you know, it also, it's still in Apple's system and we've, we've, we do have some warranty left on the, you know, on the original purchase. And I thought that might not be a bad idea, but yeah, if you're out of warranty tech restore, I rescue, those are the places, those are the, the only two places I would go. Well, I think they're also, I mean, they probably have a pretty hefty file, not only on you, Dave, but on your son. And I, I think <laughs> yeah. they're looking down the road here and thinking that, you know, he's probably going to remember this someday. That's right. Oh, yeah. Think favorably. And, and who knows? He may grow up to be, you know, run a, a media empire like, that, like you. So, that's uh, right. Yeah. That's <laughs> so right. they figure, you know, if we start them early, just like Apple did with the Apple, too, if we start the kids early and, and treat them good, then uh, then they'll repay us. I, so. I think that's exactly. No, I mean, I don't I don't think this is that's a specific case, but I think that's their general customer service strategy is, yeah, keep people happy and they'll keep coming back. So, um. I was going to read Chadwick's email, but uh, really, uh, I can I can paraphrase a little bit. I talked, I ranted a little bit because last week about the whole Quicken <laughs> yes, and Lion thing. Well, I have to Go. I have to eat a little bit of crow. Uh, I said well, we didn't that, know where they stood. Well, no, they're, they're I com- leaving people hanging, right? Yeah, they they still are. Uh, but I complained that you know I contacted someone at Intuit and they shuffled me off on the PR agency. Well, the PR the PR agency worked very hard and did their job. Uh, and we, I actually spent some time on the phone with Aaron Paltzer last, uh, last Thursday, Aaron was the original founder of mint.com, which was acquired by Intuit about a year and a half ago. And now Aaron Mm -hmm. is the VP in charge of the whole, uh, consumer products at, uh, 
at, at into it. So essentially quicken and, and mint and all of the, uh, the various stuff. The net is quicken will not work with lion out of the gate. And it's because of the, uh, the fact that lion does not have Rosetta. So lion can't run power PC code. Aaron explained to me that, uh, the quicken code base goes back to, you know, the early nineties at the, at the very least and possibly even the late eighties, they actually built their own database engine for that because, you know, standard database engines didn't exist. And so there's nothing on the Intel side that can even read that database, let alone, uh, you know, manipulate the data. So that's why a number of years ago they decided to rebuild from the ground up with Quicken Essentials. Now, Quicken Essentials sucked when it came out. It couldn't even import, you know, my whatever it was, 10, 15 years worth of data. <sighs> and a lot of other people had the same problem. It would crash in the middle uh, apparently it's, I'd written it off. I honestly haven't touched it since then. And you know, it's personal finance software. So if it's going to crash on me, I'm going to experience what I'll call an emotional detachment from that. Uh, and I'm not saying <laughs> that I'm emotionally detached. This is an, a, a, a detachment that happens emotionally, right? So it's an emotional detachment from it. Uh, but I, you know, now it, it, and from some people I've talked to, including Aaron, but, but certainly some, some neutral third parties, they say that it's better. So I'm going to check that out. But uh, two other pieces of software that, that came up are actually three. One is iBank from IG Software, I think. Uh, the other is Money Dance at MoneyDance.com. The third is JumpSoft's Money, which uh, they, are, they have a version three out and they're coming out with version four. Uh, seems like iBank might be the, the, the leader of the pack there. But, uh, but, but Intuit is working uh, with Apple's Rosetta libraries, Apple, let them, let them play with these Rosetta libraries. And basically, you know, from to paraphrase said, go play. If you can make it work, have fun, but we're not going to, you know, we're not going to bake that into lion. And they've been trying for, they've been working for about two or three months. It's not an easy process. It's not, it's not as simple as Apple just decided to take Rosetta out of lion. I think there were reasons for this. Um, and Intuit's giving it another three months. They said end of the summer. So by the end of the summer, which is going to be after Lion is out, uh, they will either have a solution for us uh, to run quick in 2007 inside Lion, or it will be a dead project and it will never happen. Uh, and that's according to uh, Aaron Palzer last week. So, so a little bit of crow because I complained about the way Intuit initially handled it, but actually they handled it really well. But uh, but they still are leaving us out in the lurch with 2007. But if uh, if Quicken Essentials works for you, that's that's their option of uh, of doing it. And Pete, I, I misspoke last week, too. You said you, you were uh, you were using Quicken for Windows. You've moved to iBank. I yeah. was at the beginning of the year. I switched over to, to uh, iBank because um, I just it was nuts having to boot up parallels in both the uh, both the iMac and the uh, and my personal laptop every yep. time I wanted to run any of that. And it's actually worked out quite well. And we had a, a conversation, obviously, off the air about it. And uh, I was telling you how much I liked it. The reason I switched at the beginning of the year is for year-end tax purposes. It just made it easier to go and track all my finances for, for tax preparation in, in one file instead of two. Um, but one of the questions you asked me was, is there an update, a single point update? And in iBank, there is. You there can is. click download and it, and it yeah. goes, it'll get all your finances and all that stuff uh, to import transactions. Yeah. And uh, at the time, I was I was unaware of it. I had forgotten it. I knew it was there and I had forgotten it. Yeah. But um, I, I am really enjoying iBank. There's a little bit of a learning curve on it. It's but not. I, it's not the same UI as Quicken, is no, it? No, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. That's but, the only uh, complaint I've heard from people is that if you're 
Yeah, don't expect to just walk into it and be happy. Right. There's a, just a couple things. Uh, you know, for instance, when you go to a reconcile an account, you have to create a statement. And it does a nice job of, of working it for you. But but once you get to zero, that, that balance is zeroed out, it, it'll close out on you. And you have to go back and manually say, no, no, I want to make an edit somewhere in there, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And it, okay. So, it, which is just not intuitive. Um, sure. Especially coming from, from Quicken. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but uh, uh, Intuit and Quicken. Yeah, I get it. Uh, uh-huh. But yeah, it... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I really like iBank. I've I've been using it six months solidly now, and and it does a really nice job of importing uh, from any bank. If you if you don't happen to have a bank that it is natively supported, it creates a browser window, and you can go and get stuff, and That's and great. it imports it, and yeah, cool. it'll, it'll choose things you can override to get, not bring things in. Right, right, cool. Uh, all right. Uh, we've got some, uh, some new questions to talk about. First, I want to mention our second sponsor for this show, which is the new spot, newest sponsor this month, which is Drobo data robotics. Uh, the Drobo is, uh, you know, they call it plug in peace of mind for your digital, digital life. Now, uh, for those of you that don't know the Drobo is, uh, it's a standalone unit that you plug SATA hard drives, SATA hard drives into, And it appears to your Mac or your Windows machine or whatever you connect to it as one single device, unless you configure it differently. Uh, But for most home users, that's going to be one single device. Uh, The cool part is that it never gets full because you can keep adding hard drives to it. Uh, and if you fill up all the bays, depending on which Drobo you get, for most of our listeners here, I think either the regular Drobo or the Drobo FS would be the right one. The regular Drobo has four bays. The Drobo FS has five. Uh, and uh, and you can take out one of the drives and put in a new one, and the space just grows. It's magic. You don't lose data. Uh, it, it just simply works. Uh, it, it takes the whole concept of RAID and, and goes beyond that. Um, they have support for Apple's time machine. So you can set your uh, Drobo as a backup volume. And, and the cool part is, you know, just like when you take a drive out uh, the Drobo, um, you know, doesn't lose data. Well, if a drive dies, it also doesn't lose data, right? You just take the drive out, you, you replace it and all your data stays there. So it's got some, I was going to say it has some fault tolerance. It has a lot of fault tolerance uh, built in. The uh, the Drobo FS is cool because it sits alone on the network. It's got a gigabit Ethernet port and you just plug into it and all the devices on that network uh, can see it. The regular Drobo has a uh, it's got USB and, and Firewire ports and eSATA ports that you can plug into. Uh, and that then your Mac just sees as a uh, as a regular hard drive on the Drobo FS. You can uh, set up a separate time machine partition that will limit the amount of space that time machine takes up. As we all know, time machine will take up eventually as much space as you have. And, uh, and that may not be how you want to allocate a device like the Drobo, which of course uh, effectively has, you know, more storage than you would ever need. You don't want time cap time machine to just grow and grow. So the Drobo FS actually has a way of, of limiting that. And it works really, really well. Uh, you can, of course, check all this out at Drobo.com. We'll be talking more and more about this. But uh, but I encourage you to check it out. It really, I've got one here. I've been using a Drobo for, 
for many years. Very happy to have him on board as a sponsor because, uh, because it's easy to talk about because I love the thing. I couldn't possibly live without it. For me, I store a bunch of kind of random uh, files, large files. And then I also store our entire movie and my entire music library out on the Drobo. And uh, I know that my data is safe. And I also know that I don't need to worry about filling up a hard drive with it because I can just add more storage without having to copy data around. The Drobo takes care of it. So all of this at Drobo.com. I've got two. You've got two. Yeah, I've got two downstairs, too. That's right. Yeah. It's awesome. I, uh, mir- I mirrored my Drobos. <laughs> Speaking of Time Machine, Robert asks, in March, I started to use my time capsule to back up my six-month-old 17-inch MacBook Pro, as well as my early 2008 iMac, which I've been backing up this way from new. The MacBook Pro seems to back up regularly when it is on and connected to my network, but my iMac has started showing the following error message periodically, usually when I have been away from the computer for a couple of hours or so, and it has gone into sleep mode. It says Time Machine could not complete the backup. The network backup disk could not be accessed because there was a problem with the network username or password. What is odd about that is a time machine backup often seems to start whilst the message is showing and without any intervention for me. So the username and password must be okay in my keychain. There's still plenty of free space on the time capsule. I keep both Macs OS's up to date. This never occurred when I was only backing up the iMac and is really not any great problem since backups seem to happen regularly when I'm actually working on the iMac. Uh, I've looked on the Apple site for help, but I'm not been able to locate any information about this particular problem. I wonder if you can shed any light on the possible cause, John. Yes. <laughs> I think you have an answer for Robert. I have a speculation. I don't know if it's an answer. Fair so enough. number one, thank goodness that he sent screenshots because I had not seen this specific one from time machine, right. but he did send us a get info window from the time machine backup volume. And here's the thing that jumped out at me, Dave. Yes. With all the info, so of course he has plenty of space, but looking at all the info here, it said format Mac OS extended paren case dash sensitive comma journaled close paren. Interesting. That just struck that struck me as somewhat unusual. Now, on the one hand, because case sensitive is not how Mac OS 10 formats drives by default. Correct. On the other hand, I did search and I'm not sure if I have it handy, but I did find a support article because, you know, I'm all about Apple support articles. You are. And in I I think they actually have one. It's called Time Machine 101. And it's part of a very nice series of tutorials that they have. And they do, at least in this article. Now, maybe it's dated. I don't know. But they explicitly say, you know, if you really want to, you can format a Mac, a, a Time Machine backup as Mac OS extended case sensitive. I don't now, know about you, Dave, but I don't have any. I, I don't have any case. I don't have any drives formatted as Mac OS extended case sensitive journaled. I certainly have any. Uh, all my Time Machine volumes are Mac OS extended journaled without the case sensitive. So j- just because that jumped out at me is the only difference between my setup and his. Actually, suggested- your, your setup is the same as his, and I'm going to explain why. Really? Yeah, I'm just looking at this now. So if you he has a time capsule, right, which means that in theory, this time machine backups volume was created by time machine and should have been created the way time machine wanted it created. So what I did was I just mounted my time capsule 
And in there, of course, are uh, sparse bundles for each computer that backs up to it. So I opened up one of the sparse bundles and it mounts a drive called Time Machine Backups. And if I do get info on that drive, which is a virtual disk because it's just a bundle, so it's a disk image, uh, it comes up as Mac OS Extended Case Sensitive Journaled. So that part of things is actually operating just the same way I see them here. And my guess is if you're going through the process on your end, John, you're going to see the same thing. It seems like Time Machine does create case sensitive journaled uh, volumes when mm. uh, when it creates these. Because I didn't. Uh, do all I know is, that, well, uh, I'm just looking right now on my mini mm-hmm. with my external volume that is set up as a time machine. Now, it's not a time capsule. It's right. a time that's, machine. That's the because you don't have a sparse bundle on there, right? It's just but it is Mac data. OS extended journal. And actually, I'm looking on my MacBook Pro to confirm right. what you said. But but it just jumped out at me as something that, that looked. I, I think I might have an answer. Right. Um, it says no. that it says that it couldn't log in. Now, the time capsule actually doesn't have a username, to my knowledge. It's just a password for backups. Uh, but. If he has two Macs, it's possible you have a mobile me account and it's possible you're syncing keychains between the two. Uh, what that means, and I've seen this on uh, on my computers from time to time, is while the sync process is happening, the keychain is occasionally it, it, the system complains that it's unavailable. Now, I just click through it and it's fine. Uh, similar behavior to what he's seeing here with his uh, with his time machine thing. By the time he sees the error, often the backup has actually restarted and things are fine. So it's possible that a keychain sync operation is happening at exactly the moment that your backup is starting, and and that could be it. Uh, I, you know, and if it is, then it's nothing to worry about because the sync obviously finishes and everything's good. So, yeah, that's interesting. I wonder why they do that. I wonder why they make it case sensitive. No, that's weird. No, I, I confirm what you said. I mounted yeah. my sparse bundle and it is case sensitive, though I don't get the same icon that he gets. Really? Well, no, I he, do. he gets it when he, when he, he did it get info. He gets. Yeah. yeah, he gets the drive with the you know the little clock yeah. and the and the and the, the arrow. I don't, at least in my MacBook Pro, when I launch my uh, huh. when I mount my time capsule or mounts the. Uh, but no, you're correct. It is sparse. So, uh. Okay, he 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 did write back and said he tried another drive that's formatted as. Maybe, oh, I maybe know. He should. I know why you have a different. Uh, the, the icon he shows has the little time machine icon on it. When you yeah, mount it yeah. manually, you don't get that icon. But when it's mounted automatically by the system to start doing a backup, you get that icon. And that's presumably to give you a visual cue that this drive is you know right. special. So. So in that case, my initial guess was was misguided. Wrong. <laughs> misguided. Well, that's twice. <laughs> that's all right. You caught you 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 picked me up on one. I pick you up on one here. This is how we work together. <laughs> but oh, I learned something. I, I didn't know. I I don't know why they're making it case sensitive. Uh, the only Unless reason that's I can the format think, of the sparse bundle. The, the only reason I can are, think hmm. is if is so that it doesn't have to look at the drive that it's backing up initially to decide how to format this, right? Cause let's say, for example, uh, you format your, you know, your main boot drive comes from the factory formatted, non case sensitive to a case insensitive, uh, journaled. And then you down the road have some external drive that you add to your system and you decide to format that case sensitive. Now your backups, uh, will still be backed up case sensitive because your time machine is seeing things that way, no matter what, 
And that that may be the reason for this is so that it, it can be sure to restore and it's future proofing essentially at that point. Right. So. All right. Now, you know, I've, I've seen something similar. Yeah, but, but I've seen something similar and I'll just mention it quickly and then, then we'll move on here. But I've seen something similar, which hints at a timing issue is that sometimes when I start up my MacBook Pro now, of course, I have its connection to the time capsule or, you know, the, the wireless connection is set up to automatically log in. And frequently the OS will come up and say, oh, I can't find your default network. Here's a list of other ones. What do you want to do? And then I'll look in the menu bar and I'll see that it's logged in. So huh. it's almost like one part of the OS is like, oh, I give up. I can't find the base station. But another part is like, no, I'm cool, man. I've seen that happen. And I don't know, and it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, if it says I can't log into the wireless network, but it does, I mean, <laughs> is, is some profile screwed up or, or what? Because there's no way for me to, uh, you know, change the timing of how long it, it, it should try to do that before that dialogue comes up. And this this also, I think, as you're suggesting, Dave, is is maybe a timing thing. Is right. While it's trying to submit the credentials to log into the drive, something is happening I don't know if he's, uh, I mean, there has to be a time machine pref file. Maybe whacking that would be another. Uh, right. <sighs> yeah. No, that's a, yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to back off on the format thing. It's a, it's a, it's a obscure timing thing, which you know, I hate this stuff. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Have. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's tough stuff to troubleshoot. Cause you know, you can look in the console logs and all that, but you've got to really look at everything that's happening and relate to otherwise unrelated you know, uh, things that are going on. So that, that can be, mm. can be wonky. So, all right, John, give me the name of the person whose question we're doing next. What? Give me the name <laughs> of the question of the person. Pick one. There's, there's a, there's a whole laundry list. All right. Here. So we did Robert. Let's see. Um, pick, oh, pick, pick your favorite. Cause we're, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're running short on time. This may be the last well, question I, uh, before cool John's going to play. Well, I, I like, uh, well, I'm going to go between, uh, let's try to get two in here. So I like Joel and I like John. All right. Pick one. We'll see. Well, John, well, John's is quick. John's is quick. So we'll do Joel and then John. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, so Joel writes, I think Joel writes, Joel wrote, he did write. He didn't call. He wrote Joel writes. I have a mid 2000 MacBook that needs a logic board replacement. I plan to send it through Apple for flat rate repair service, which on this machine is $280. My question is about security of the data. Should I be concerned? John? I would say yes. Not because I don't trust the people in the depot or along the path, but I would say just as good general practice. So, so two things, one, whenever I've shipped a machine in number one, I've always either put in a different drive and, or uh, so uh, advice. Number one, back up the drive. Okay. Right. Back up all the data, use carbon copy cloner, super duper, whatever your favorite backup utility, back up the drive. I would suggest formatting it with a fresh copy of the OS for two reasons. One, because you're going to race or, or erase, uh, you know, for, for where most people can't retrieve it, erase your data. But number two, you may be able to solve your problem with a fresh OS install. Who the heck knows? So, huh. Uh, uh, but I would say you never know. I mean, once it leaves your hands, uh, I'm not going to say that uh, I'm not implying that Apple, uh, Apple employees are untrustworthy and they're going to be, you know, fishing for your data. But the, the thing goes through many hands between you and getting to the depot and it could fall into the wrong hands. Who knows? Right. And uh, whether yeah, heck, you're probably going to give it to you're probably going to give it to FedEx and who knows what's going to happen with it. Yeah, there. in this case. 
Well, I'd be more worried about UPS or USPS there you than go. FedEx. But <laughs> right answer. Any DHL. of them. <laughs> any of them. But yeah, once it leaves your hands, you never know. It, it, it could fall off the truck. It could get lost. It could get. So I would say, number one, make a backup. Number two, uh, I think a fresh install is always good. Because a lot of times when I've shipped it in, they've asked, well, by the way, can you give me the uh, you know username and password so I can log in and try to help diagnose the problem? And at right. that point, they have access to your data anyway. So yeah. Back up your data. Do not. I would not recommend shipping it verbatim as, you you know, shutting it off and just putting it in a box and shipping it to them. I would make a backup and I would erase and, and reinstall a fresh OS on the drive. That That's my recommendation. I don't know about you, Dave. Yeah, it's it's a good recommendation. I And it's probably the the same advice that I would give, but this is one of those situations <laughs> where I don't fi- actually follow my own advice. And, and longtime listeners of the show will know that I am guilty of this. It, in my... Uh, and it's 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 in sync with my whole attitude towards security. Right. You know, we I, I don't I don't believe in uh, I don't know. I just security is a balance between security and convenience. Right. And yeah, I, well, it's easy to throw it in a box and ship it off bingo. and then you're done. And I, I almost always err on the side of convenience. Now, I will shoot a backup because I know that I'm shipping it off. And I may never see it again. I mean, it may simply get lost or destroyed in between my putting it in the box and it getting to out to the driveway for, I mean, you know, anything could happen. So having a backup is paramount. There's there, there is no convenience in not having a backup, but going through the process of, you know, wiping the drive and all that. eh, Yeah. It's a great idea. I just, I've never done it. Um, I'm, I don't, Anything that needs to be that secure is actually encrypted on my uh, computer somewhere. But but there frankly isn't that much data that's that way. So um, so, you know, it is it is what it is. But uh, but yeah, it's good advice. All right. Uh, John asks. I'm currently running Mac OS 10 version 10.5.8 on my iMac 2.8 gigahertz Intel Core 2 Duo. I am interested in upgrading to Lion 10.7. However, I read where I must have Snow Leopard installed before I can install Lion. Is this true? I really don't want to have to purchase Snow Leopard just so I can install Lion. Well, the ES and ES, if there's a workaround for the problem, uh, I don't know. No, 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 no. It's easy. Uh-huh. I've got an easy answer, Dave. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's right on apple.com slash macOS 10 slash how dash to dash by. Step one, make sure your Mac can run Lion. Step two, make sure you have the latest version of Snow Leopard. Step right. three, download OS 10 Lion from the Mac App Store. To me, open and shut. Those are the three steps that Apple says you must follow. So right. to me, the answer is yes. Yeah, and, that, now, it, and, and that's the pain pro- in the. It's a pain in the neck <laughs> right and and that's the problem because you can't get to the mac app store with uh with leopard you need snow leopard to access right. the mac app store so there i think and i haven't tried this but from what i understand i think the, the lion installers that have you know that have been given to developers so far i think they will work a as a standalone and B as an install on top of prior versions, OS versions prior to Snow Leopard, but you can't get it. You need the Mac App Store to pull down that that installer file. So I guess if you have another Mac or another way to get it, and and then you could put it on maybe a thumb drive or something along those lines, it might work. But uh, but the trick is going to be yeah. getting it. 
it's a you know it's a it's a it's a chicken and egg kind of thing going on there so yeah and between me and you dave a a little birdie told me that the uh the latest uh dp4 uh you can't burn a uh bootable disc from that anymore oh interesting oh that's too bad i will not identify the birdie because it it, yeah it's certainly not me right interesting it's a birdie yeah it's a birdie yeah. Huh. That's too bad. I hope that I hope. No, there, there are numerous. Uh, no, yeah. there are numerous reports that I've seen on yeah. the Internet. So so I'm not giving anything away, which basically say, whoops, the, you know, that burning to the DVD or uh, DVD thing doesn't work on on uh, DP4, which is uh, probably the, the last DP because, I mean, they're releasing it next month. Right. That's what they say. Although they did do it over the air or a software update update for DP4 that uh, that fixed a lot of stability. Things. Ah, yes, yes. A yeah. little birdie uh, uh, told me about that, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, it, yeah, it could be that developer preview four is the last one that we'll see. Although, it, it, again, you know, those those uh, over the air or software update updates make, you know, I mean, the last one was what, 700 megs. So, I mean, it's a pretty substantial change to the OS. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, do we have time for one cool stuff found? Uh, yeah, kind of. All right. Well, not another question. No, really no, cool. we're done with questions. We we're, we're, right. we're at the hour mark here. We can't let these things go. 90 minutes on, go. on, on our poor listeners. So I'll let you pick uh, Phoenix and everybody else <laughs> has written in either telling us or asking us about an app, an iPad and iPhone. It's a, it's a, you know, universal iOS app called downcast. And uh, and for those of you that want to download podcasts and save them on your uh, on your on your iOS devices, this is another one in that category. And and people seem to really like it. It will work with both uh, the regular feed as well as the premium feed. If you plug the premium feed into it, you've got to go to the website and and copy that feed URL because it's not in their directory, obviously. Uh, And then it'll ask you for a username and password and you type, you know, your username and password in for premium and then it, uh, it should work just fine. But uh, they, uh, everybody seems to be talking about this thing. So it'll, it'll let you, it's not streaming. It just pulls it down. Then you play it once it's finished downloading. So you got to make sure you run a fat pipe or you plan ahead. But, uh, but people seem to like downcast. So I figured I'd throw that out there. It's uh, I think it's a buck 99 off the top of my head, but, uh, but don't quote me on that. You can quote me on it. I think it's right. So, and if I'm wrong, you know, then pay the difference. Uh, all right. That's it. That's, uh, that's that one. I think that's, uh, I think that's as good as we get. You can contact us, email feedback at macgeekgab.com. I wholeheartedly agree with you, Dave. It is feedback at macgeekgab.com. Feedback at macgeekgab.com. You can also uh, call us at 20666-GEEK, emphasis on the geek, which is... I, I think you meant 666-GEEK, right? Didn't I say 20666 I, I thought you dropped a six. Oh, I might have. I might have. You There's might have. four sixes. 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. You can Skype us to MacGeekGab. You can find us on Twitter. Twitter.com slash MacGeekGab is the show. Slash John F. Braun is that guy there. Slash Pilot Pete is this guy over here. Slash Dave Hamilton is me. And uh, you can find us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. We'd like to throw a big thanks out to Michael Johnston of the We Have Communicators, formerly iPhone Alley podcast, for converting this show into AAC and enhancing it for you. 
Uh, Cashfly.com provides all the bandwidth. The podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro from Smile software uh notebook from circus ponies stitcher with promo code mgg and drobo with their drobo and drobo fs and drobo pro and all that other great stuff they've got going on there all through backbeat media that's it john we're uh, we're out of here until thursday when we will be coming to you mac geek Cab premium 338 25 bucks six months two extra episodes a month and supporting your two favorite geeks what a deal that's doesn't get any better than that. And I am going to quote you. It was a buck ninety nine. A buck ninety nine. All right.